Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hey there, welcome to today's program. I'm glad that you were able to find the time to listen in, whether to the live program or, as is the case with most of our listeners, to the archived recorded program. Um, Either way, let's see if we can uh, answer some of your questions today about your challenging child, uh, help you understand him or her even better, and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach and start identifying and solving problems so that those problems don't set in motion challenging episodes anymore. That's what this program's for, brought to you by Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization that I founded uh, to advocate on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their parents and teachers and other caregivers, and to provide free web-based resources to help people implement collaborative problem solving. I was uh, talking with uh, the Associate Director of Lives in the Balance yesterday, Lauren Lapat. We are having an interesting conversation about the tie-in between collaborative problem solving and the advocacy work that Live in the Balance is doing on behalf of challenging kids and their caregivers. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but one of the new features on the Lives in the Balance uh, website is the comic relief section. Um, The first comic, which was, uh, I don't know, four or five months ago, had a rather forlorn-looking lad with a bunch of diagnoses floating over his head, and people have really been... Uh, great about submitting uh, rather humorous captions. Um, The second one uh, was uh, a child being restrained in a quote-unquote quiet room, and uh, that brought out um, the sarcasm and the humor in a lot of folks. This month is um, of a kid sitting in the assistant principal's office um, with a paddle uh, sitting over his head, um, and a sign that says, we use wood to help students do good. Um, how does all that tie in? I mean, should we be hitting kids as the way to solve problems with them and as a way to teach them the skills that they're lacking? Clearly not. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, should we be restraining and secluding them um, as a way of solving problems and teaching them the skills that they're lacking. Clearly not. That makes no sense whatsoever. These are acts of desperation most of the time that occur well after a highly predictable unsolved problem has set in motion a challenging episode yet again. 
do diagnoses give us information about what skills a kid is lacking and what unsolved problems are setting in motion challenging episodes? No, diagnoses don't really do that. So the advocacy piece of lies in the balance helps us know what not to do. And there's other cartoons in the pipeline of more things that we ought not do. Where does collaborative problem solving come into this picture? Well, collaborative problem solving is what we ought to be doing instead. There's what we ought not do, and there's what we ought do. That's how the advocacy mission of Lives in the Balance and the dissemination of collaborative problem solving mission of Lives in the Balance overlapped hand in glove, but a little bit too much time perhaps on the mission of Lives in the Balance. Um, other things I should tell you about the website, there's a uh, new rendition of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems there now in the um, paperwork section. Uh, a bunch of new stuff. If you go to the site guide, uh, it'll tell you what's new. Um, haven't visited the Lives in the Balance website lately. Ooh, one more thing. Recognition awards. Um, as it says in the site guide now, you know, we recognize football players for their speed and passing ability and pass-catching ability and for a hard hit. Recognize baseball players for their outstanding pitching and their hitting and their defensive skills and their speed. We recognize attorneys for their what do we recognize attorneys for? We recognize attorneys for their um, strategic savvy. We recognize investors for the same thing. You know, all that stuff's great, but in my neck of the woods, nothing compares to turning a challenging kid around and saving him from the negative outcomes that they are pointed toward by mere virtue of the fact that they are challenging and that not enough people yet understand why challenging kids are challenging and how to help them. So lots of new stuff on the Live in the Balance website these days, um, including the recognition awards. We want to start recognizing people who, often against very long odds and often in the face of tremendous resistance, are bravely and gallantly going forward and implementing collaborative problem solving, whether they're a parent or an educator or a staff member or administrator in a restrictive therapeutic facility. Uh, I mentioned this on a radio program a while back. We're just finally getting to it. The Lies in the Balance Recognition Awards, we're going to recognize one parent every year, one educator every year, and one staff member in a restrictive therapeutic facility every year for doing something that often goes unrecognized. Um, making sure that challenging kids are well understood and treated in a way that is humane, enlightened, compassionate, effective. Um, but these are your 45 minutes. Actually, you only have uh, 38 left. Sorry for that long-winded introduction. Um, so if you're having any difficulty understanding your challenging child, uh, implementing the collaborative problem-solving approach, getting other adults 
on board, uh, do feel free to call in. That number is 347-994-2981. Callers always take priority on this program. Uh, Get your questions asked. Make your comments if you want to. Get the support you need. Or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. If you're not the calling-in type, feel free to send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. So, we don't have any callers standing by today, so I am going to jump into the email. And we made good headway on those emails uh, last week, but they've piled up again. So here we go. And this first one is a follow-up from one that I responded to last week. Um, I had indicated last week that um, I didn't have enough detail to respond in an explicit way. And so, uh, and this is always cool when this happens, um, I got a response to that comment, and um, I'll read that to you. Um, Dr. Reen, I'm the parent who sent an email message to you several days ago about problems we're having with our son. Uh, he was diagnosed with ADHD when he was uh, seven. Um, uh, you weren't able to help us much because I wasn't specific about the issues we're facing with our son. Here they go. So now here's the details that we were lacking the first time around. Uh, number one, and this is a rather lengthy email, so bear with me, but this does give us the details that we're looking for. You know, not everything can be fast. And I'm not even sorry about that, but helping challenging kids isn't going to be fast. In fact, the faster we try to make it, I'm not, I'm not responding to this mom, but I'm just saying here's why I'm happy to read a somewhat lengthy email on this program because not everything can be fast. And helping a challenging kid is one of those things that is probably definitely not going to be fast. So here's the details. He's having time management and organizational skills. Specifically, our son uh, procrastinates about starting homework until about an hour before bedtime. He seldom finishes all the homework. So he often has to stay in the principal's office after school to finish his work. He routinely does this, that is, procrastinates, despite the fact that I give him his low-dosage Ritalin medication soon after he returns from school each day and consistently tell him that daily at 3.30 is time for him to start his homework. For a while, my son had a bad habit of playing games on the computer right after school. However, he realized this was bad for him, uh, so we put a password on the computer. Now, I make sure to log off the computer before my son comes home from school, so we limit the distractions to starting homework. We also had to take away a laptop computer um, and a DS. Um, So regarding the time management and organizational skills, this is still the email, I've tried to sit down with my son and show him how to better organize his time and homework assignments, but he doesn't pay much attention. I've also warned them that if he doesn't learn now that it's best to start his homework early, He's going to feel overwhelmed by all his after-school assignments when he gets older. My question is, we've already removed almost all the privileges John has. What else can we do to motivate him to do his homework? Well, I'm going to answer that one, and then we'll keep going with the email. Thanks for the details, though. That helps. As you can see, details really make it possible to think a little about what we're doing that might not be working and what we could be doing instead that could be working. Now, let me respond to a few different parts of this email. Clearly, we have an unsolved problem. Homework completion. Homework completion. Here's more information that we have. Staying in the principal's office after school to finish his work is not getting the homework done at home on a timely basis. That's not working. It's working getting the homework done later, 
but it's not getting the homework done on a timely basis. Uh, medicating him in the afternoon is not getting the homework done on a timely basis. Taking away uh, the computer isn't working. Uh, taking away the laptop isn't working. Taking away the DSS, DS, sorry, DSS, DS isn't working, clearly. Now, so your question is, what else can we do to motivate him to do his homework? I wouldn't try. I don't think motivation's the issue. You've told us enough about your son to tell me that procrastination isn't enough detail on what's getting in his way on starting the homework and why he um, starts it only an hour before bedtime. I got it. Time management and organizational skills. That's 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 um, time management and organizational skills. That's not motivation. That's time management and organizational skills. They're different. And um, being in the principal's office wouldn't teach time management and organizational skills. And uh, medication could conceivably help a bit with time management and organizational skills, but apparently it hasn't. And taking things away hasn't. Uh, helped with the time management and organizational skills and sitting down with your son and showing him how to better organize his time and homework assignments hasn't gotten the job done and warning him that if he doesn't learn now, I'm actually betting he kind of knows now that it's best to start his homework early. He's going to feel overwhelmed by all of his after-school assignments when he's older. True, but um, and makes sense to me, but not going to teach him the time management and organizational skills he's lacking and not going to solve this specific unsolved problem, this specific example of time management and organizational difficulties. So my advice, I think you've tried to motivate him enough. You've taken away almost every privilege that he has, as you've said. I wouldn't try to motivate him anymore. I would try collaborative problem solving instead. And what would that sound like? This is all proactive I mean, here's the good news. Now we know what didn't work. We also have a sense about the lagging skills that seem to be coming into play, although I might imagine that there might be some other ones that are coming into play as well. might not just be time management and organizational skills. There's others that I could imagine are contributing to this unsolved problem. This would be proactive plan B. And it would start with, I've noticed that Getting your homework done on a timely basis is very hard for you. What's up? And now we're listening, and we're drilling for information, and we're trying to get a good sense of what's getting in his way, and then we'll know what we're working on. Then, and only then, will we know what we're working on. One of the biggest mistakes I find that we can make, this is not me being critical of this mum, because this is a very common mistake that, that we make when we try to help kids. And this mom is clearly doing her best to help her kids, so we're not being critical in the least, but it's a very common scenario where when a kid is having difficulty doing something that we believe very strongly he needs to be able to do for the future, so far, nothing the matter. Here's where the matter part comes in. We immediately assume that this is about motivation and we also immediately assume, and therefore apply, by the way, motivational strategies. We also immediately assume that we know what's getting in his way. 
Well, plan B ought to take care of all of that. With plan B, you're not assuming that you know what's getting in his way. You're going to find out. Um, and what we find out is likely to steer us well away from the motivational explanation and well away from motivational interventions. So I know this is easy for me when people seek out my help. It's usually because everything else didn't work. That's okay. I mean, me personally, I'd probably start with lagging skills and unsolved problems and figuring out what they are on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, and I'd probably start with plan B, but I mean, I'd rather save people time because often the things we're hearing being described here don't get the job done. But I'm glad that you're at the point where you've tried practically everything, everything motivational, good. Now let's start trying to solve this problem collaboratively. And of course, as you know, you are always welcome to email back and let us know how that goes, as you did with this email. I'm going to keep going with this email. This is a great email. Uh, problem number two, cognitive flexibility. I would actually call that lagging skill number two. My son doesn't handle transitions well, so I always warn him in advance if we have to be somewhere at a certain time and how long he has until we leave. He seems to be improving when our schedule involves going from our house to another place. However, it is very difficult to get him inside for dinner when he is outdoors playing with his friends. Thank you for that detail. That's an unsolved problem. If he doesn't like what we're having for dinner, he literally runs out of the house. There's another unsolved problem. Uh-oh. We've tried sending him to bed with no dinner and snacks, but he usually finds a way to sneak food into his bedroom. How do we deal with this? We've had to put a lock on the pantry, but sometimes he gets it open if we're not in the room. Ah. There we go again. Um, whether We have two unsolved problems embedded within that last part that I just read. Um, coming inside for dinner when he's outside playing with his friends and not liking what we're having for dinner. Two unsolved problems. Whether those are not handling transitions, well, I'm not sure. Whether that's cognitive flexibility, I'm not sure. It doesn't actually matter that much. I'm going to assume that he's having those difficulties, those unsolved problems, because of lagging skills plus demands for those skills. Now, here's the good news. What you've done so far hasn't worked, but what you've done so far, once again, is punitive and motivational. We've tried sending him to bed with no dinner and snacks. I don't know if that's going to help him come inside for dinner when he's outdoor playing with his friends. Uh, so far, it hasn't. Uh, I don't know if depriving him of dinner and snacks is going to help him like what you're having for dinner better. It's interesting how I word things to help us recognize that the intervention, quite frankly, couldn't possibly solve those problems. My suggestion, same as with the first one, plan B. Let's move on to another one. This is a great email. Uh, even though this is impulse control, even though this, and this is back to the email, even though this is the last issue I'm listing here, it's the one we're most worried about. If one of John's friends, John's by the way not his real name, if one of my son's friends does something he doesn't like, uh, he often does something inappropriate to get them to stop bothering him. For example, recently he asked a classmate to stop doing something that was making him uncomfortable, staring at him. And when the classmate didn't comply, he flicked him in the face with his finger. Someone noticed the red mark on the student's face, and my son ended up in the principal's office for the rest of the day. 
I made him apologize to his classmate and teacher and told him he couldn't play with his friends for several days. That's a punishment. I also counseled my son for the thousandth time that when something, then when he does, someone does something he doesn't like, he has to use his words and not respond by hitting, kicking, or physical aggression. This is me again. That's great. But telling a kid to use his words if he doesn't have the words may not be the ideal strategy. What is the best way to teach impulse control skills to a child? This emailer goes on. Um, We've been seeing a clinician who's been teaching my son to picture the word alert in his mind whenever he feels overcome with a negative emotion and then stop and then think. Um, when I asked my son if he used these skills when the recent incident happened, he said he did, but he did what he did anyways. How much practice will it take for my son to learn to regulate emotions before he gets it? Um, hmm... I am not especially keen on interventions, this is well known to our listeners, that occur in the heat of the moment. And if a kid has impulse control issues, then having a kid who's having difficulty thinking about the consequences of his actions, think about something else, so he thinks about the consequences of his actions, I often find that's not terribly effective. I'm actually thinking your son does get it. He gets it that he um, needs to deal with unsolved problems in a way that is more adaptive than the way he did, flicking a kid in the face with his finger. I think he actually probably gets that. That's my bet. If I was to sit down with him, my bet is that he would agree that he shouldn't do that. The question is, is intervention going to be best um, implemented in a form that requires your son to do a lot of thinking when a problem is already upon him? Or are we going to be better off by doing exactly what I would do with the other unsolved problems that are mentioned in the email? Uh, would we be better off trying to solve the problem of a friend doing something your son doesn't like? And we'd want to be much more specific about that, by the way, in the this example of plan B might have to involve the friend. I'm also not real keen on trying to make things better by helping only the most vulnerable part of the equation, the kid whose behavior is the worst in the midst of the unsolved problem. Not real keen on that either. I find that doesn't work either. So no, back to proactive plan B, you've got quite a list of unsolved problems to be working on. You'll have to prioritize, decide which ones you want to work on first. I usually recommend that people only work on two or three at a time. The more you try to work on, the less you'll get done. If you need help implementing plan B, well, that's, as I described at the beginning of the program, what um, a lot of the content on the Lives in the Balance website is about, especially the learn section, all kinds of streaming video to help you learn as much about this as possible. Um, once again, uh, Lives in the Balance not only talks about what not to do, and I've spent a little time here talking about what not to do, but collaborative problem solving is what to do instead. So please feel free to email back. 
if you give Plan B a try with your son, don't forget that it needs to be proactive. And now let me just read the last part of your email. Um, one last issue that has been bothering me for a long time, this is back to the email, is what I perceive as the unfair judgment of some of our neighbors who also have kids. We've worked hard to raise our children correctly, but I don't think parents of normal kids understand how difficult it is to raise a special needs child. They sometimes think our child is being willful and bad, even though he is really being thoughtless and careless. What's the best way to deal with these parents? Educate them. Not easily done, but um, if your son was wheelchair-bound, the, the neighbors wouldn't be saying, uh, why doesn't he just get out of that chair and walk? If your child had an obvious developmental delay, the neighbors wouldn't be saying, um, why doesn't he just get it like everybody else does? One of the greatest difficulties many challenging kids have is that it doesn't look like anything's wrong, which means people expect the exact same thing from them. You know, the kids who, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, the kids who have obvious disabilities sometimes are at a tremendous advantage. Obviously, there's disadvantages to having an obvious disability as well, but there's one obvious advantage People are more compassionate. People adjust their expectations. For most behaviorally challenging kids, people have the exact same expectations. People are being judgmental, and there's really no choice but to educate them about why challenging kids are challenging. Challenging kids are challenging because they're lacking the skills not to be challenging. Unfortunately, that soundbite isn't going to get the job done, so I hope that your neighbors are willing to listen a little. Um, good luck. And good for you for recognizing that your son is lacking crucial cognitive skills. The hard part, and this is what Lives in the Balance is for, the hard part is helping the rest of the world know what you know and intervene in ways that I hope you'll be trying over the course of the coming week. Do let us know how it goes. We have a caller, and callers take priority on this program. So let's see what our caller has to say uh, from area code 530, and that's the only identifying information that we're going to try to use. Uh, welcome to the program. What's up? Hi, Dr. Green. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Okay. Um, I had written an email a couple of weeks ago. I've been in touch with you trying to find um, a counselor in our area who was familiar with your work, and there hasn't been anybody in our area. And I had written you an email, and I wasn't able to listen to the program last week, so I'm not sure if you might have covered my email last week. But um, basically, we have a 10-year-old boy, and um, we've been doing the explosive child and um, collaborative problem solving for at least two years. Um, however, he just he seems to just keep escalating, and we're at a point now of like living almost totally in in crisis mode, and um, he is becoming more and more violent and more and more explosive. And um, I, we've been doing the CPS, but uh, I almost think through CPS maybe I'm not getting as much of the things that I want or I need out of the situation, I think maybe I've leaned too much to his side. I don't know if that's possible, but um, 
you know, by all practical purposes, we've become very permissive parents at this point because we don't want the explosions and the uh, violent attacks and the verbal attacks. And uh, at this point, he's basically on his own, completely out of control. He comes and goes into the house as he wishes. He's running with a group of 14-year-old boys, and he is 10 years old, um, all, you know, through the neighborhood, riding their bikes all over town, spending whatever kind of money he has on junk food, not coming home for lunches or dinner on the weekend. He completely missed our entire Easter traditional celebration on Sunday. He just was said he was going to see his friends, and he'd be back in a little while, and he didn't come home for seven hours. Um, so my husband and I are just, you know, we're, we don't know what to do, when, but we need to do something. You definitely need to do something. I totally agree with that. And um, I, I would have to see if it, your email is one that I responded to. Um, sometimes they slip through, and quite frankly, sometimes they stack up, though I do try to respond to all of them. Um, do me a favor. Go to the Contact from the Lives in the Balance website again and just email me and let me know where you live because that's not something I want to do over the phone. Okay. Um, on the program, and I will let you know if I know anybody in your area. Now, I'm in the midst of certifying clinicians in the collaborative problem-solving approach, and there are only six or seven that are certified at this point, and I'll be right. listing yeah, on them. On your email, you had written me back and said there's nobody in my oh, area, I and I even said we'd be willing to drive you know, a few hours, yep. and um, but, you but said that the there deal. was no one available. It could be quite some time before there are certified CPS providers in every community in which I would like them to be. I'm mm -hmm. working as hard as I can to um, certify people. Um, but um, you may not, if you don't have anybody certified in your area, then you are um, in the position of having to try to seek out somebody, whether certified in collaborative problem solving or not. Right. Now, a lot of people in, are in that position right now. It could be years before I have enough certified CPS clinicians out there. And to tell you the truth, there will never be enough. Um, right. But I'm um, working hard to make sure that there are. But uh, your situation is not unusual at this point. Occasionally, people get lucky and there is a certified CPS clinician in their area, and that's lucky at this point. But most folks at this point are looking for a clinician and my usual recommendation is a family therapist, um, not an individual therapist. Um, family therapists tend, this is not completely reliable, but tend, uh, because collaborative problem solving, uh, at least in part, uh, has been forged from family therapy models. Um, family therapists tend to have an affinity, but the key word is tend there, tend to think like this, um, not necessarily the lagging skills and unsolved problems part, but the recognition that if your son is staying away for seven hours on Easter, uh, that's probably more of a family situation. And if, if it's true, and it is true, that it takes two to tango, in the case of you, your husband, and your son, three to tango, then you're going to want a clinician who's working with all of you. And I agree. Um, you need somebody badly. So I don't know that I would hold up certified CPS clinician as the litmus test um, for getting in to see somebody. Bottom mm -hmm. line is you need to get in to see somebody. Now, you haven't said much about how um, dangerous your son is being, but if your son's level of danger reaches a point at which you fear for his safety, 
or your own safety or the safety of other people, that's, that requires a trip to the emergency room so that um, your son can be properly evaluated and people can decide how to make sure that he and those around him are safe. As it relates to your other issue, and that is um, you feel like you may be bending too far in plan B towards your son's concerns and agreeing to solutions that aren't mutually satisfactory on your end, that happens. It especially happens when people are worried about pushing too hard on their own concern. And plan B sometimes in those instances ends up looking more like plan C. Um, yes, people do the empathy step. Yes, they do the define the problem step. But then when it gets to brainstorming solutions, the minute the child or the adolescent starts becoming agitated in discussing about solutions, then the adults tend to go with the solution that works mostly for the kid and not for the adult. And so while that sort of bears some similarity to plan B, not plan B all the way through because um, the solution wasn't mutually satisfactory. So, um, yes, what you've described is not unusual. And um, I think it sounds to me like it's probably a good thing um, that you are going to be seeking somebody out. I just wouldn't have the litmus test that it be... Um, somebody who's certified in collaborative problem solving because not enough of those folks out there just yet. Okay. Uh, another question I had for you is um, his behavior becomes so extreme at times that I'm wondering, you know, the part of your book about where um, it could be a brain chemistry issue and that maybe medication or, you know, some kind of intervention like that could help and, you know, I don't. I I wouldn't even know like how to have him evaluated or who to go to for that. Well, I think that you are probably going to rely first on the. I'm not sure you need a bunch of chefs in the kitchen. I think the goal is to get in to see somebody who is reputable, perhaps somebody who is open to this way of thinking, and let them give you a professional opinion about whether they think medicine. Um, might come into play here. Uh, me hearing that a kid gets completely out of control, and once again, there's a certain point at which out of control warrants a trip to the emergency room so that you can make sure that everybody's safe and make sure that your son um, son's safety is evaluated by a professional. But having a kid be completely out of control can look a variety of different ways and doesn't necessarily say medicine, sometimes Severity is an indication that medicine is a good idea, but sometimes severity is just the uh, sum total of all of the factors that are coming into play on a given unsolved problem. So you're going to need a professional to guide you on that. I'm not saying you shouldn't seek out the guidance of somebody who prescribes medicine, but um, I don't think you want to have a bunch of chefs in the kitchen at the beginning. I think that you want to have a good clinician, and you want to raise that issue in the very beginning, that medicine is something you've considered. Um, not knowing anywhere nearly enough about your son, it's, I can't, it's impossible for me to weigh in on whether anything I'm hearing sounds like something that medication would address well. Um, you're looking for a good clinician in your area and looking to run these things past that clinician so that you can start working on getting things back on track. Okay. 
Um, can I give you a specific issue that we're dealing with at the moment? Sure. Okay. So um, we are going, our family is going to leave, or myself and the other two children are going to leave town on Thursday to go. Uh, I'm going to take them down the coast and go camping. And um, and the, almost the sole purpose of this is to uh, get my, to take my older son and get him reconnected with me and with his younger brothers and to kind of try to break this cycle of him running with the older boys in the neighborhood and being exposed to everything he's being exposed to here. And so um, he is refusing to go on the trip. He says that he's not going to go, that he will run away, that he will get out of the car, and because he wants to stay here and be with his friends and because he doesn't want to miss any social activities on the weekend. Now, normally I would say, okay, well, I'll, you know, we can leave after the weekend and I'll let you stay and have your social activities with your friends, but we have a medical appointment on the way down the coast on Thursday, and there's just no other way. It has to be this way. We have to leave on Thursday, and we're not going to come back for a week or two weeks, depending on, you know, how well he's doing and how explosive he is and how much I can handle on the road with him. Um but uh, you know at this point i don't i can't force him to do anything and i can't talk him into it and i can't negotiate with him and it seems like these kinds of issues are coming up more and more and more of where he just says oh that was what i had written the email about was he was going to go swimming with some friends without adult supervision and i you know i said i'm all for you going swimming i just need to talk to an adult who's going to be there to supervise you and he said he said, "Well, if you don't let me go, I'm going to go anyway. It doesn't matter what you say." And so we're we're you know we're at this point where he's big enough, strong enough, and um, mobile enough to just do whatever he wants to do, regardless of what we say. And we're trying not to do the punitive stuff of taking away everything that he cares about and getting him more angry. But at this point, I you know I really we don't know what to do. Well, and that's why we seem to be in complete agreement that you need a outside resource helping you um but you said some important words there and and um your your situation sounds extremely difficult um you have a 10-year-old son who is not uh, who who as you've said is big enough and willing to apparently make life miserable enough that you can't make him do anything mm-hmm. now you know i don't know how much your situation resembles that of another kid I was working with a very long time ago. I was sitting in a session with him. He was much older than your son. And he looked at his parents and he said, um, um, I used to have to do what you said because you were bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Now you do what I say because I'm bigger than you. That's exactly how he thinks. He says right. he can't wait to be bigger than his father so that he can beat him up and he doesn't have to do anything that we say. Well, and, you know, it doesn't really matter for our purposes at this moment where that's coming from. In the case of this other kid that I was referring to, it's that he had had his parents making him do things for a very long time, um, not being collaborative, being totally plan A, totally in position of adult will. And how did they get him to do the stuff they wanted him to do? They made him because they were bigger. Of course, the downside of that is that he's going to be bigger someday. And your 10-year-old son, I doubt that he's bigger than your husband, but apparently he's willing to push things to the degree that gets you and your husband to say, well, then, you know what, we're not going to, we don't want to make a big mess here. 
So you've been relegated to plan C predominantly. Mm-hmm. Your son is no longer responsive to plan A. Now, there's some folks out there who would say to you, well, you know what? Y'all just got to really now start lowering the plan A, plan a boom on your mm-hmm. son. You've got to teach him who's the boss. And there are people who will tell you to do that. I don't mm-hmm. happen to be one of them. Um, I totally get it that at the moment your son sounds like he is um, largely uh, conducting himself outside of your authority, and he's basically saying to you, you don't have authority over me anymore. Now, mm-hmm. um, that's why you need somebody. You need somebody to get the communication going again. Um, I don't think you need somebody who's going to help you lower the boom on your son. Um, I think my personal opinion, not, not knowing enough about your situation, but in general, I find that lowering the boom pushes kids further away. You'd, you'd have to make a judgment call on that in your situation. But that's why I'm a proponent of Plan B. It helps people communicate. It improves relationships. It gets the kids' concerns on the table. You know, quite frankly, what your son is basically saying is, now I'm doing Plan A. I'm telling you what to do now. Mm-hmm. You need somebody badly. Now, as it relates to, and once again, I don't think that I would have the litmus test be that they're certified in collaborative problem solving because apparently there's nobody in your area. So now you're just looking for somebody really good and who has a really good reputation. Okay. okay. But now here's this one last piece. You've got this idea that having him go away with you so that he can reconnect with you and his two younger siblings Mm -hmm. will be a good way to extract him from the kids he's hanging out with now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know your situation very well, but quite frankly, I don't know it well at all. But here's my thought. Number one, it sounds like you can't make him go anyways. Number two, you're coming back. Even if you can get him to go, there's something about this crew he's hanging out with now that's very appealing to him. And it's not clear to me that a weekend trip with you and the younger kids, as pleasant as it might be, is going to be powerful enough or permanent enough to top whatever is appealing to him about this crew that he's hanging out with now. Plus, you can't make him go anyways. I think that we need a professional to make sure that your son's concerns get on the table, to make sure that he's feeling heard, to see if there's a way to help him hear your concerns, and then to see if there's a way to involve him in a process in which solutions are being arrived at that are mutually satisfactory and realistic. And I think that's probably going to be the way that you get your son back. Okay. I wish you the very best of luck. It sounds like you are in an extremely difficult situation. And do call or email and let me know how things go. Okay. Um, can care. I just add one one more thing along the lines of like trying to break his connection with this crew of boys he's hanging with? I had actually thought about taking him away, you know, for maybe four or five or six months, like going to stay with other family members or going – um, maybe to volunteer in Guatemala or Mexico or somewhere with underprivileged kids and just kind of give him a different reality? Well, um, it's certainly an option. 
it's something that I would certainly discuss with the clinician um, who you're going to be seeing. Okay. Um, not knowing your situation well enough, I don't know if that's something I would recommend pro or con. Um, you need somebody to guide you in terms of what to do to try to get your son back. Okay. Uh, and I'm not sure that extracting him from his current group is going to be the main way that you get him back. I think connecting with him again, communicating with him again, and solving problems with him collaboratively may be the best way to get your son back. Okay. All right. Good Thank luck. You. Keep us posted. Okay. Uh, a lot of tough stuff going out there with on out there with challenging kids. I'm glad that people are seeing this program as a resource. Unfortunately, it's all the time we have for today. Um, thanks for listening in. We'll be back next week with the parents panel. Talk to you then.